0: welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris, and I'm Jake. Have a cool episode for you guys today. I'm really excited about this. Paul House from McLaren is uh, is coming on the podcast. That's right. He is had a huge part of the McLaren P1, the 720, all kinds of crazy stuff over at McLaren has a uh, has a lot of stories to tell us about that. He was also has his master's degree in automotive design at the Royal Academy in London. Um, really love talking to these exterior designers on cars. I, I, their philosophies on how they approach design and life and everything else. Just and
1: some behind the scenes facts about yeah, like the p one and the 720S. Yeah, yeah. It's super really cool. cool.
0: Super cool. Um, before we get to that, though, what have you got for us?
1: Yeah, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all the latest and greatest in the industry, and they send it right there to your doorstep. There are actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrobox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets even more gear for $39.95 a month. Be sure to check them out at MyPetrolBox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month's order.
0: All right. Without further ado, Paul House. Hello. Hello, Mr. Paul House. How's it going, man? How you doing, man? Good. You got a beer in your hand and you're ready to go.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) So I'm imagining um, you're one of the the guys that designed a ton of these great McLaren cars. So I'm imagining your daily driver then must be like some sort of supercar or hypercar, right?
2: Yeah, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. I wish. What are you driving around in, man? So at the moment, uh, six which is like a big French barge, basically. Um, It's amazing. But yeah, before that, I had a Nissan Cube for a bit, which I thought was hilarious, Um, being a supercar designer, driving a Nissan Cube little box. um, That
0: thing has a really interesting design element with that window, doesn't it? With that window that kind of wraps around the side. That's asymmetrical.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a cool little car. It was ace. I mean, it was perfect, like sticking my mountain bike in the back, going riding, and it just looks so cool, you know? Like you don't see any of them on the road um so yeah no it's cool cool little thing i always wanted one since um i did my internship in tokyo back in oh, 2007 something
0: like that well, that's about as close as um, you're going to get to a k car in london yeah. or england I yeah know. yeah yeah pretty much you, I, I read an article where you've been driving a 2002 touring you decided to daily drive that for a while what what, what do you still have that car what was that like
2: yeah it's in a thousand pieces at the moment um which i'm kind of regretting but um yeah long story um i basically i had what did i have before that i got bored of of modern cars um and i kind of i had a e28 my first e28 which was amazing which i should never have sold standard story um but it was lovely it was like one owner car it was just awesome um and then i thought oh, i really fancy nine four four. a 944. Because you know, pop-up lights, box arches, supposed to be amazing to drive. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get a nine four four. So I got nine four four and was really disappointed with it. Um, <laughs> like- I went
0: and test drove one of those and I was I was super excited about it. I got in, yeah. and I'm like, oh, this driving position is great, the gauges look so cool. Yeah. And then I drove it and I go, This is miserable. It is. This is- I don't
2: know, I don't know why they're going up in value. They're so shit. Oh, like, they're just, they're, they're too, they're not, they're not shit. They're not shit. They're good. They're, but they're too good. It's like anything like it's too smooth. It's too good. Um, I'm gonna fit with bike in the back of that as well, but, um, it was just dull. It was just boring to drive. Right. Um, you know what, it was heavy, I, it was slow. I drove a
1: 944 turbo and I felt the same way even about the turbo.
2: Really? Because I, I just, just had a standard, like, early 2.5, and I thought, oh, maybe I needed the turbo or 3-liter, but... It, it still just no. didn't seem that exciting.
0: <laughs> I had a guy pull up to me at a gas station once in a 944 turbo. He gets out. I had I have a 72 911, and he gets out, and he walks over to it, and he goes, you know, my 944's got perfect 50-50 weight balance. And I, <laughs> I was just like, come on. Okay,
2: guy. <laughs> So's a set of scales. <laughs> yeah. So why is this
0: 2002 Touring apart? What's going on?
2: Yeah, so basically, I... um. I then got yeah I had that for like two months um thought this is dull so I then thought well, I'll go back in time a bit further um really wanted I mean I, I was kind of what I really wanted was a Fulvia or a Alpha Julia but they or a, or a saloon um or coupe 2002 but they were just too expensive so this touring come up and it was a bit cheaper and I thought ah oh, cool I'll learn go and have a look at it and it had twin webbers um a couple of other little go faster bits and i was just like yeah this is ace i thought well if people if people drove them in the 70s every day like i'm still a human i could drive it every day now yeah um which i did i mean i could you could have a whole bloody podcast on on that thing like the story of that thing but long story short the bloke who i bought it off didn't do a very good job of restoring it they bodged everything and everything just fell off and broke on it so gradually me and my dad or mostly my dad um just helped me kind of fix it as, as we went along and I was I was using it every day I mean it got um got my money's worth of my recovery my toe toe insurance um but yeah so kind of used that for 18 months and through the wind I thought I can't go through another winter it was pretty horrific like do you know, think everybody back in the day in
0: the seventies that was driving was got out of a winter and went, "Oh, that was horrific," or did they no, just? No, they they not they, know. They didn't know.
2: I don't think they. they just didn't know. You know, um, you just got on with it. You know, and people did break down, but they they fixed it themselves. And um, I think also it helps that the the heater probably worked at the factory, whereas <laughs> as I've now as I've now discovered since I've taken it to a thousand pieces, um, it was jammed and didn't work. So and it was like crudded up and leaking. So. Hopefully, when I've uh, finished um, fucking around with it, it'll uh, yeah, it'll, Th- it'll be all right. Those things are really rare
0: over here. You say it's cheaper over there. Yeah, than
2: to buy the sedan or something. It was, it was at the time, and that was like eight years ago. Oh. Um, but now they've, they've, I think they've kind of caught up with the with this with the sedan a little bit. Um, I've only but seen yeah, one. they are mega rare. I think there's, only, I, yeah, I think there's only like, I think there's only like twenty in the UK on the road. Um, so they're just as just as rare over here, really. So now that you've talked cool about things car. coming
0: up, I mean, why do you think these older and once attainable cars, you say you bought the thing, you know, eight years ago, it's probably tripled in value yeah. by now. What do you think is yeah attributing to that rise and desire to own these things?
2: Um, I guess it's just, you know, modern modern cars, modern life, it's just more and more and more and more and more, and more and more digital. And you can't you just can't get the sensations and kind of character from um from modern cars that you can from classic cars i think pe- more and more people are starting to realize that i think the kind of the rise of the um you know, the kind of desirability of 80s and even early 90s stuff they're still quite analog but is modern and you can actually use them i think the 80s for me is like a sweet spot of um being able to use a daily driver and you know be modern enough to drive and still being classic but i think it's just that you know that that analog feeling that you, you just simply can't get from every aspect of, of our lives. It's so. I think it's just driving driving prices up, and they're just they're cool. You know, the your money's no good in the bank at the moment. The interest rates are so rubbish that I it think that's another it. thing that's probably um, starting uh, attributing to it as well. Do you um, think we're, but these yeah. are
0: all diminishing wares right they, they're not making any more 2002 tourings they're not making any yeah. more e28s 944s whatever the case well may they're be. not making anything analog period yeah whether well, it's i mean they're making records again but just well, they are but machines, they're like, they're not making anything. yeah i mean the, ones, the ones that
2: are are like they're like five million pounds for like a you know D 4 zagato um continuation that's the only thing that's being built and then they're like crazy money so yeah there's like there's just i don't know there's not a lot out there. And, um, yeah, I think people also people smile at you, don't you? Whatever classic car you're in, doesn't matter what it is. People, you know, people like, it gives a lot of people joy, like looking at them as well. So, you know, you get so, you get so much good, positive uh, um vibes driving around in a classic
1: well ask chris about the last uh vibe he got from someone in his classic <laughs> we're on our way to lunch what happened <laughs> you were revving the piss out oh, of it I in did. front of the guy in the tesla <laughs> I just had to a, piss him off
0: i did well he looked at me and he gave me a really sour look so i revved the car up a little bit to as a response i just let the car talk i didn't have to say anything yeah so uh, what did Tesla man say? He, he just continued. He just did not st- seem happy. Hands at 10 and 2. He ate a lemon and went on with his day, from what I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so, I feel like with art and design, like for, for you, obviously, there's this huge journey for you, getting to do the, the 720 and the P1 and everything like that. Yeah. But to get to that point, I mean, that kind of, that kind of design doesn't just like, flop out of your mind, right? There's a lot of things that build up to uh, leading up to the moment where you finally put a pen on a napkin. Or whatever it is that you start out with, and and draw those first lines. So I want to kind of talk about maybe your past a little bit, and uh, yeah, and kind of find out where did you grow up, where did it, you know, where did your life begin?
2: Um, so I grew up in um, in Buckinghamshire, which is kind of northwest of London, just a little a little village. Um, yeah, kind of average, average little village, average house. Um, yeah, mum, dad, and a sister um yeah so that's kind of pretty standard you my, dad, have a garage? Um, my dad worked yes yeah, so my dad um worked up at silverstone uh the race circuit um he was working on Le Mans cars at the time so um like the group c cars so he was um yeah he worked at silverstone we lived nearby So, um, yeah, I mean, there's always, I mean, dad, like when I was a kid, um, he built three trials cars. I don't know whether you've seen them on some of my Instagram things. It's like these crazy, um, off-road cars that are super low, kind of look like Lotus 7s, but, um, with big tires and they kind of go up muddy hills. So he built three of those when I was a kid, um, and I was yeah I was always kind of in the garage with him I <laughs> got a funny story um I was like sat in sat on the floor in the garage while he was building one of these cars and uh, I mean I was probably like 2 or 3 and I don't remember this obviously mum's told me but um I was had my cars and I was crashing them and my dad obviously hit his um must have hit his thumb with, his, with a hammer or something. He's like, shit. So I'm there with my little cast going, shit, 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 <laughs> shit,
0: shit. them <shit." laughs> together. <laughs> well, he's teaching you the good lessons up, up front. you want You, yeah. you, you got to get that emotion out. <laughs> so what was this garage like? Because when I imagine, you know, I think of England, I think of either you have a lean-to or you have like a one-star, one-star garage or you've got like a very small two-car garage. Is this something – that you can actually work in. I'm trying to picture
2: what it's yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, there. we don't, yeah, it's pretty much like that. We don't really have all the space that you guys have got. Um, but my dad, I mean, wherever he goes, he's got to have a uh, pretty much triple garage. Like, but he den- tends to, because, you know, I say the houses are quite closely packed. Um, he just extends rearwards. So he's always had, I mean, at, at that point, we had a, Probably a triple length, single width. Um, so you know, right at the end he'd have his lathe and what have you and then car and then just kind of crap at the front. But you know, it's kind of um he's he's always moved to a house and it's been a crappy single garage and then he's extended back and kind of, you know, kind of yeah, he needs his massively important in his life is his is his garage. Um so, <laughs>
0: so obviously you, you got a lot from your dad, it sounds like that was probably yeah. pre inspired dad. Oh, I was tell us about your dad a little bit what was he like
2: um yeah i mean he's 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 ridiculous he's just amazing he, at the moment he's working so he's still working he's well, is he 62 works for gordon murray uh, so he's building the t50 prototypes but um he can build make fix anything he's one of these people that just makes it look so effortless um i mean literally he'll just uh, anything I mean, obviously, specifically with cars, but, um, yeah, he's just um, hes just awesome. Anything he touches, it turns to gold. It's, it's <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite a... Well,
0: he needs to touch me then, I think. Because <laughs> everything I touch turns to shit or breaks or
1: whatever, or it's lost or gone. This is an interview about you, but I'm curious now, your father, what is he working on specifically over at GMA?
2: So, yeah, on the T50, um, building the prototypes. So, um, the new supercar, new hypercar. So yeah, he's kind we of were building, just
1: talking about on our news these. episode uh, last Friday.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. I'm interested to, to know how if he's, you know, if he's 62, 63. So he was working on this stuff probably in his 20s, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 30, 40 years ago when there was there's yeah. no computers. He's not designing anything. He's probably you're machining. tuning yeah, carburetors. Yeah, you're and- tuning carburetors. You're lapping in valves. You know, you're doing all these things. Now you're working yeah. on a T50. I mean, that must be a, that. That's a huge breadth of, of skill to learn over yeah, the course of that time. I think,
2: you know, yeah, I mean, a lot a lot of the guys, I mean, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot more in the last probably 10 years, a lot more young people coming up doing apprenticeships and, and what have you. I mean, and, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of skills that are now being passed down. I think 10 or 15 years ago, we were thinking, bloody hell, there's yeah. not going to be anyone you know, to do this stuff in, in a few years' time. Um, so, you know, the, the, a lot of the guys he works with are, are you know, of that sort of generation, you know, sort of you know, in their fifties in and sixties, um, there's the, the amount of experience, just simple stuff that they just know what, know exactly how to do it, how to, yeah, they're just, they're just real fountains of knowledge. And, um, it's, I say it's good that it's, it is being passed down to, to younger people now, it seems, um, I think that the I digital so.
0: revolution or whatever you want to call it with cars and everything else yeah, kind of those these guys it's like this perfect storm of these guys are getting older they've got all this time and talent yet all this other stuff has taken over so there's this there's this counterculture in this like societal rejection of of digital and they want to learn from these guys and kind of capture yeah, the romanticism yeah, of it
2: yeah definitely i think you know it is exactly that i think there is it's obviously it's not widespread i think still the majority of society likes the fact that they can be lazier and lazier and get everything done for them by digital means. Um, but I think there is a, you know, there's a niche, there's a small, a small amount, well, a relatively large amount of people, but, you know, still a quite a niche area where people do want to learn, you know, and they do want to, they want to buy analog things. They want to think buy things that are craft, crafted by hand. You know, someone's actually spent time and, and love and care to, to make or draw or do whatever, um it's and almost like the people inverse getting, of people the, getting
0: like the industrial revolution where everything was that yeah. <laughs> everything was handmade <laughs> yeah. and then everybody just bailed on all of it and started buying all this crap and it's like the reverse thing that's happening now.
2: Yeah, and like and you know recycling upcycling, you know, kind of re, you know, reusing stuff. Um there is a, there's, a, there's definitely sort of trends trends towards that, which is really good. Um so yeah, I mean it's
0: yeah. Do you remember when Um, you started noticing design and shapes? And when you were a kid, was it were you drawing um, as a kid, or when did that start taking place?
2: Yeah, I guess I was I was drawing (laughs) as you'd expect cars from a young age, Um, and I'd be kind of I think when I was probably six, seven, I'd be drawing making my own cars up, which my boys do now. Um, Then I went on to like copying. I'd be just copying any car I could, just like pencil sketches um but in terms of noticing good design do you know what it probably wasn't This is probably embarrassing to say this I probably shouldn't admit this but (laughs) it probably wasn't until university and like then you actually start to learn about what design is I mean I was remembering like my first year or second year of uni and um you know there's kids that were kids you know we we were all kids then you know people my age like 19 to 20 and they obviously had a lot of knowledge of like design history and you know and what you yeah, design was and i was like i didn't have a clue i just wanted to draw cars um and i kind of but now kind of since then yeah obviously you get taught you learn and you start to appreciate it a bit more and you start to understand what does constitute you know good design and um yeah you get to i guess appreciate it a bit more but some people are in you know into the car history bit bit more i'm not embarrassingly not so much but um i was I know the same I way. Like- when i was
0: in art school i just I didn't, he had all these art history classes and all this art theory stuff, and I hated it. All I wanted to do was go draw the naked chicks and the grapes on the thing. That's all I wanted to do. That that was the highlight of my day. It was the, everything else was awful. So why why the, the, yeah. Moving right along. <laughs> the grapes on the wood was not some sort of a na- I just realized that could I, be taken I, the wrong uh, way who knows what <laughs> you actually I was going to say the grapes that, on the wood that, <laughs> <Is> that, <laughs> so like uh, <sighs> when did it become obvious for you that you wanted to do this I mean you weren't super into like the design theory and all this other crap but obviously you were yeah. you know you wanted to draw cars and you wanted to yeah, do I knew,
2: this Yeah I knew from when I was at school when I was a teenager I knew I went to, to do car car design of some sort I to, to be honest well what 15 ish I probably thought the only route was engineering I didn't know car design existed as a as a profession um and yeah so as, as I got a bit older um so late teens and started to then realize that there was something also realized that i was absolutely rubbish at maths um <laughs> so i was never going to be an engineer but i could draw so kind of that then it sort of started to fall into place did your parents approve? um yeah no i mean they're they're super supportive they always have been anything i do so they're like yeah they're amazing school not so much when i left school <laughs> i had my a levels which are your kind of your, your senior year exams i was what 17 um 18 something like that and um the headmaster deputy headmaster was like you know you've got you've got quite good grades why are you going to art design school you really should be doing more with your life <laughs> and i was like wow <laughs> um i want to do this so screw you and I, i'd kind of would love to find him now mr schneider if you're listening. Um, Screw you! <laughs> <laughs> we should find him. We'll send him a copy. We'll send him a copy of so
0: Once you finally were in U- universe and you started learning, and you said you started picking up on things, um, what yeah. designers were you looking up to at the time? Car, or otherwise, doesn't have to be cars. Could be anything. What are you? What
2: yeah. Was- um, I guess at the time, I mean, I found when I was a student, you know, it's kind of what's what's current, what's the cool. You're always trying to look at what are the cool drawings designs Yeah, you are know, obviously looking in auto and design and car design news and probably now it's it's just blogs and what what have you and try, trying to find what are the cool press rendering so at the time, i mean renault were doing I always remember i loved the renault sketches from from that era like late was it early 2000s um but then outside of that, I think Dieter Rams, probably um, the kind of German product designer, uh who all the Braun stuff in the, in the sort of 60s, 70s and all the way up to now. I and mean, he's, still, he's still going. Um, but it's just that simplicity, you know, he, he's, his beautiful simplicity. Um, I, was, I was quite um, I so, feel like, so yeah.
0: When I look back at design around the time that you were in university, I feel like it was like a dark time. I call it like the Bengal era. You know, for, from like a, I'm not, I'm not a designer, I'm not, but from my perspective, I feel like every, he designed those cars and then everybody else kind of went, oh shit, and kind of scrambled around and, and everything seemed to change in the early 2000s from, des, from a design perspective.
2: Yeah, I think it's quite a good period. I think the nineties were pretty bloody awful. Yeah, there's a lot of um, malaise there, that's for sure. There's a lot of just soap, you know, bars of soap <laughs> and not really much balance to things heavy, fat, you know, kind of, there's not really, yeah, it wasn't, I think, you know, actually I think Renault design, I think Bangle, whether you love, like or hate the cars, you know, they were very innovative. Um, I actually, I, I love them. I think they're amazing. Um, what they've done, you look actually look at all, pretty much all modern surface language derives from, from those, from those Bangalera cars. Um, so you know it's kind of yeah i think it's is it was a turning definitely a turning point i think probably for i don't know whether it's for the better or not but it's certainly a turning point for modern car design i think um that sort of era everything was starting to go a bit sharper you know kind of creases back in it goes cyclic you know look at it now um you go sort of you know 60s soft 70s 80s hard lines 90s soft 2000s sharp and everything's starting to go soft again um so it does kind of it's trends you know i i don't really which do you prefer like, the soft to, or the sharp um it's i prefer to draw my, my designs tend to be soft and organic um whether that's because I've got my career at mclaren and we built that that design language um or i think it's just my drawing style i think just suits that better my, my, my design style is is uh is soft and organic. However, every car I've had and I love tends to be square. Like my mum, my mum always goes, "Why does he buy all these square cars? Like you're a, you're a sports car designer. Why is it with these square boxes?" I was like, "Yeah, but they're not just boxes. They're beautifully balanced proportions. <laughs> boxes. Look how much beauty you can fit inside this
0: box." <laughs> <laughs> so there's many schools uh, of thought on what makes good design um abstractly what are your thoughts on a good design like how as a as a layman how can i look at something and go that's good design or that's
2: not so i think it's got to work um i think it's you know it's got to have a function um i hate like style over substance um Mm -hmm. you know if something looks nice and doesn't work that's not design that's art um and what's the point of buying an object as to have a function if it's just going to be a bit of art? Like, there's no there's no point to that. You might as well actually go and buy a piece of art. Um, what's really interesting I is the people that buy cars that do work,
0: that are designed, and then they still don't use them.
1: <laughs> they
0: treat them yeah, as art, even yeah. though they
2: shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so I think it's got to work. I think it's got to have good balance and proportion. Um, you know, anything you look at um, that's been well designed has got... I, I think, in, in my eyes, obviously, it's it's all sort of subjective. Um, but, you know, you can see a good balance and proportion, whether it's, you know, a watch face of a really nice, um, I don't know, whether it's a, a Speedmaster or or whatever. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a balance and a delicacy. Um, everything, you know, whether it's, yeah, I think anything that's got a good design has got a good proportion and balance. Um, if you're looking at kind of real products like producty things um is there's you can get super geeky into the way you can see the way things have been modeled whether they've been modeled with with care i think most things now are pretty well designed in terms of an aesthetic design whether they're good design as a product therefore you know as a whole good design good ergonomics good user interface or whatever that's another story but in terms of you know just the aesthetic side of things there's a lot more care put into things now. Yeah, you know, people, companies realize the the value of, of good design now, um, from a from a consumer point of view. But going back to the sort of yeah, I guess the original question, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good design. You know, it could just be um, on on the surface.
0: Because I feel like it's not always um, subjective, right? I mean, good design is good design because. You can make something to make somebody feel a certain way. You can, whether that's yeah. happy or sad or whatever. And yeah, good design can another do those aspect
2: things. Of it. It's making it, it's making, giving, giving someone joy through a product. I guess that's another, another aspect, isn't it? If you make, if you make someone feel happy or, or feel, you know, give them joy of using something. If you've got anything you, that you've got any product that you're using, if it's horrible to use and it's horrible to look at, it's not a very nice thing, you know. So actually, there's a, there's a certain amount of of yeah, just giving or if something's designed to make human joy. feel bad. I mean, that could
0: be good design too because it's still
2: yeah its purpose. purpose. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So why yeah. Does the what under- kind
1: of dark thing are you thinking of now, Chris? I'm what? sure I could think of <laughs> a,
0: what was in my mind. I know I'll this talk- is going down. A, this could be going down. A- I, right, here's right, this, here's worm what's wormhole. in my mind: is the concrete <laughs> block like the megalomaniacal concrete structures that were built in England in, like, the 70s. Those huge, yeah. imposing, concrete structures that are, in my mind, I don't think they're physic- or physically uh, appealing, aesthetically appealing, but I do th- think that they served a purpose, which was to loom over the people that lived there. So in that yeah, way, they're good designs.
2: Yeah, and, there, and there's some... Some are extremely well designed. You can still see there's elements of balance and proportion in in them. Um, I mean, there's a really famous the, um, the car park up in Gateshead, up in um, near Newcastle, where I went to uni. There was, um, was where Get Carter was. The Get Carter, kind of Michael F- Caine film in the sixties, was was filmed, and um, it's really famous car park brutalist um, architecture brutalist um, that's the word i was thinking for yeah and i think i think he got knocked down so a real real shame but there were there are examples of really good brutalist architecture a lot of people don't like them but i i, I kind of think they're cool you know they look they've got a real honesty to their aesthetic um and the, and the manufacturing process that was used so um You know, I think that that's where you could you can argue that it's it's good design. It's an honesty in in it's you know it's not a facade. It's just it's brutal honesty to to its function.
0: Do you think that the we live kind of in like a caste society now, where there's you know different classes of and you hear talked about in politics all the time, but it seems like the underclass and the disaffected usually have to suffer with poor design just because of cost. Yeah, they're buying cheap things. Why is good design so expensive?
2: I don't know, I guess, it, I guess it does all come down to money. Um, you know, you've got, there's a lot of training that goes into design, you know, designers. And, um, you know, there's, therefore, the best designers are going to want more money um, to, to be employed. Um, and I think, there's, you know, so there's a certain... A certain amount of that whereas if someone just wants the cheap thing done they'll either do it themselves with no training and um, so it doesn't cost anything design um or you know or they, they get get someone who's not maybe not as skilled and talented you know there's a lot of training that goes into it um and then at the same time also uh, companies do realize the the value of design and, and sort of put, put prices up and it, I, it's funny though because i it is a bit of a pet peeve. I think of a lot of designers. Um, and I think that, you know, there are exceptions. There are people who are doing really good work for, um, you know, for, for not a lot of money, but um, Mark, the guy who was chief engineer on the P1, so a guy called Dan Poe-Williams, he always, always remember him saying when we were in a <laughs> quite heated design review, um, and he wasn't happy with the way things were, were going from an engineering design point of view. It was like, it takes just as much bloody effort to design something badly as it does good. You just need Mm. to have the know-how. And it's so true. You know, the amount of effort that goes into it, it's it's the same. You know, Um, you can, yeah, you can do something. You can do a bad job um, just as as well as you can do a good job. So, yeah.
0: So is it harder to design something like a P1 or is it in that vein? Is it harder to design something like a P1 or 720? or like a Camry
2: or or a Civic or something like that. You know what I mean? Cause it's. Yeah. I've always wondered at this and I'm, you know, I've, I've spent my whole career at McLaren. So, you know, you could argue that I'm not really that qualified to answer the question, but what I would say, I think it's harder to make things from a purely aesthetic point of view. I'd say it's harder to make things look different and unique and, you know get that that wow factor and that that consumer you know draw that consumer in with um with everyday cars because um, you've got this really a car that's going to be
0: sold millions of times it's got to kind of please everybody and it's just it's almost like putting an original yeah. design in the well... microwave and watching it kind of round off as it melts <laughs> yeah so everybody likes
2: it. i think that's a problem i think that's a lo- that's a big problem with a lot of a lot of car companies i think you can still create iconic designs with, clearly you know with um with everyday cars and it sometimes it does it does happen but it's just hard you've got less real estate you've got uh, you know more and more difficult packages having said that supercar design it is bloody difficult you've got so many everything's everything's performance driven uh, well not performance driven everything's got to work it's got to be a real you know whether it's the aerodynamics, the cooling um trying to get around all these all you the know, new you end legislation up with a
0: which is <laughs>
2: looks like it looks but it's a
0: terrible thing to drive
2: yeah exactly um you know legislation which is obviously great for saving people's lives but it is an absolute bugger to work for a supercar you know keeping the nose low trying to keep an awesome you know wide looking you know low low at the front you know high at the back you know the the kind of standard stuff that you want to do with with a sports kind of supercar you just you just more and more legislation making it harder and harder. So. You know, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot more difficult. I think most things, from what I can tell, from people I've worked with who have worked on more normal cars, the design studio has a lot more say in the final outcome of the car. Whatever they say goes in some companies, like Land Rover. Just um, maybe you know, less emotion involved. Yeah, but I think you know whatever whatever they want, they get pretty much, and then the the engineers and packaging guys work around that. In supercars, um, and I'd imagine it's the same at Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche, wherever, you're working with the engineers um, and you have to make sure that your design works. You know, It's definitely been the case at McLaren. You know? It was really one of the key things was you work with the engineers uh, like a cyclic process. So you're kind of constantly ba- bouncing ideas off each other. And um, it's really cool because it is proper design, not styling. Um, you know, a lot of car design is, is styling really, um, which is kind of a dirty word in, in McLaren, but, um, <laughs> I like,
1: I like that distinction, though. Yeah, that was, that was, that was good. design, not styling.
0: So
2: for me, new cars, um,
0: for me seem pretty soulless of uh, most cars. I mean, obviously you've got hypercars, supercars, you know, there's stuff. Each manufacturer does with like maybe like a halo car where it's pretty good. But uh, even when I look back at economy cars, of the past, I still see good design. And you're talking about these boxes, like your mom's like, why do you love them? And uh, I see good design <laughs> when I see I feel something and it might be because those cars earned it. Like there was something that happened. Maybe they were in DTM. Maybe, you know, maybe you own one back in the day. All these different things can factor in the nostalgia of why well, you like some of these old cars. And I feel like sometimes I'm guilty of comparing new cars and old cars through a lens that's unfair or that uh, new yeah. cars with all the tech are they are they doomed to being left in the dustbin of history as disposable, or is at some point are people going to look back at whatever we're building today and go, oh yeah, that's so romantic, I love it, and someone's mom is going to be like, why do you love that car, and, and you know, like <laughs> we're going to repeat this cycle section. is or is it just not possible because of the way that the manufacturing oh, process and the technology and everything else exists now?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you kind of want to say know um but i guess you just never know where on earth we're going to end up in uh in 20 30 years time we might not even have cars so maybe they are maybe they will be um seen as desirable i don't know i mean it's i think it's to a certain extent it is uh, it is unfair i think we we as society know so much um and you know more and more so therefore it gets harder and harder each time to, to do something new and, and worthwhile. But and also, you know, you haven't you never had as much legislation in terms of crash safety and and what have you, which does just add visual mass just to everything you do today. Um you know so you look at take the old light um yeah you know, E28 is one of my favorite um everyday cars if you like um it's so light and pure uh, um you know everything's so delicate on it it's got such a lovely balance um that you just could never do that today. However, having said that, um, you know, the, the Volvos, uh, I think at the moment are hitting the sweet spot for purity and simplicity. Um, I think that, you know, they, they're for me, they're, they're at the top of the game at the moment. Um, just for, they're not overdone. There's so many cars. I mean, bloody hell. Some of the Hondas, Jesus Christ, (laughs) Alright, <laughs> oh, <they're just, laughs> like, let's just let's throw every single feature and every single like design thing we know. Let's just throw it at it and just make Oh, that'll do. Yeah, there we go. Creases you know, everywhere. Sorry if, I've, sorry if I've offended any Honda designers who are listening. Um but you know that <laughs>
0: Well they're operating so, in a different yeah, environment than you are. It's Yeah.
2: Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe there is that, but I I think think, it's, it's
0: progress. And I think we, we get stuck on this thing with progress. Honda's like, okay, we have to, like, when you do something like a, a P one or a 720 or something like that, you're not necessarily as beholden to progress, but I think the average consumer, um, uh, expects it. It's an inevitable, like entropy. And they feel like the consumer, the consumer feels like they deserve something better every time. Like imagine designing or being an engineer working on the 911, right? You have the 996 <laughs> comes out. It's the it's the first water-cooled 911. Okay, great. And then the 997 comes out and everybody's like, this is the best car I've ever driven. And then you have the 991 and everybody's like, oh my God, right? Then it's like, everything has to be better than the previous version. And that's, that's an oh, nice. immense amount of pressure and it's just, I feel like it kind of ruins things a little bit that we've kind of put ourselves in this box where everything has to be better.
2: Yeah. I can't agree more. It's one of my pet peeves. I bloody hate it. At the same time, I'm kind of, I'm, you know, we're all guilty of it to a certain extent, but why do cars have to, I mean, it seems like the life cycle of cars is just getting shorter and shorter just because they're, and the companies wanna, you know, get more and more money and think, oh, if everything if we've got all this new tech or if we've got a new design, people are gonna to wanna to buy and we need to get them to trade in their car sooner and sooner. It's like what's wrong with the car having a ten year life cycle? Why does it have to be three or four bloody years? You know, it doesn't. I think mean, the thing that's something that you know Tesla actually should be commended for is the kind of the whole upgrade upgrade system. You know that you kind of you download the the latest tech. You know, you don't need to up. You know, chop in your car because you've got. Um, you can be. You can have the latest stuff. But I mean, said that I just think our uh, unfortunately society is programmed that way, and I I hoped that you know through all this terrible. Um, covid19 disaster that we've all been through i was thinking you know, maybe this maybe there's a bit of a reset switch here maybe people think actually i don't need to buy all this stuff i've certainly i've certainly realized that um you know i don't i haven't been you know you buy stuff you don't need and actually you're more you're happier for it in, in a way and this whole consumerist society that we live in again, I'm guilty because I'm a designer, but at the same time, it's like, it's got to stop, man. It's, it, it can't just continue to just consume, 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 keep buying the new thing every, you know, every, every year. Why can't we just slow it down a bit? Yes, we need to progress. We need, we need to, we do need to progress, but just slow it down. Like there's no need for it to be at that speed. The pie has to keep growing, and because you—at
0: least here in America—if you think about it as a as a, a yeah. semi-capitalist system, right? You have the shareholders at Apple, for example, and I blame I blame phones really for this mentality because you've got to have the yeah, yeah. newest phone, right? I mean, it's you sure, can't have an iPhone definitely. eight definitely. that th- that camera sucks, the battery's terrible, <laughs> they'll slow it down on you on purpose, whatever the case may be, and so these companies have to keep progressing because. If they're shown on the on the ticker to not have grown their revenue, they have they have not progressed. Yeah. Then then everything's on fire and it's the end of the world. You know, and, and yeah, I think no, that,
2: I, defi- I definitely blame shareholders for everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we, we can agree on that. So how did you end up working for McLaren? You know, how did you? That's. Normally you'd be like, "Oh, uh, I worked for I worked for John Deere making kids pedal cars, and then you worked for <laughs> Honda, and then you worked for Nissan, and then you kind of work your way up." But I mean, you were like yeah. dream job immediately. What were you doing when you <laughs> started, it, and how did it start?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, super super fortunate, I guess, to be in the in the right place at the right time. Um, I graduated in two thousand eight, so with the financial crash. Um, and I had a few jobs lined up and they all fell through. Everyone just had hiring freezes. So I was like, shit, I have to find something else to do. Um, and then, um, around Christmas time. So I graduated in the June. So six months later, um, I was on holiday in, in Ireland, um, for Christmas and I got a phone call from Frank Stephenson. Um, I thought it was someone taking the piss. Um, <laughs> but he was like, can and you see uh, for ha-
0: people that don't know?
2: Oh, sorry. He's, uh, he was design director at McLaren at the time. Um, so yeah, so I got this, I got this phone call and, um, yeah, he then asked me in for an interview. Um, how did he find out uh, about to, you? He came to my show. Um, so him and Mark Roberts, who's the studio manager, um, they came to, came to the show and, um, yeah, Mark, I think Mark and Frank saw, saw something in me obviously. And, um, yeah, they got me in and, um, yeah, yeah, I started in the in March. In March two thousand nine. Um, and then just had a couple of years. Do you remember your first day and there? Or what did you did you put on yeah, like, yeah. did you look oh, at yourself man, in I the got, mirror and put on the right suit I, coat and everything? So when I got so oh, yeah, no. Um <laughs> when I got the I was gonna say <laughs> I'll give you some more stories off the record with some beers when you're in the UK next. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deal. Um but no, I came to the yeah, I had the interview and that and then driving home, um I was I mean I'm not embarrassed about it. I was in tears driving home. I was like so happy. It was just like it was amazing. I got the job. Got home. Got a cheap bottle of Carver, like um, fizzy wine from the from the off license. Race drivered myself, like spraying, spraying it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was like so so happy. It was amazing. Um, and yeah, and then I guess yes, yeah, that that and. Um, it was just insane. And the first few jobs I did um, helped out on the 12C nose. We did a bit of work on that before it came out. Um, and I did the key that my first proper job there that I did everything was the was the key for the 12C and, and what came sort of few, uh, next three or four models probably. And then in September, Rob that's no small thing. Like anything you have to touch all the
0: time has to
2: be. Yeah, it's yeah. No, it it a big deal. And I think it was quite a cool little thing. Uh, like an aluminium chassis, and yeah, it was, it was cool. In September, so that six months after, um, another guy joined Rob Melville. Um, so he came in as senior designer, he's now a design director. Um, but so we kind of we worked together on P1, you know, was our first project was was P1. So first like major car projects being P1 was um, was pretty insane. Um and then my theme got picked, so I couldn't believe it because i just Beating this new guy, <laughs> this new or new guy beat the you know, kind of experienced guy to the theme selection. Um, so we're talking <laughs> about awesome the selecting
0: the kind of—is this the sketch, the first sketches of a P1? Like,
2: yeah, sketches, sketches, and and um, 3D models, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, we have the, the CAD models, clay models, but yes, yeah, sort of theme selection you do loads of sketching and then you build this some is circle initial, win. When is this initial models.
0: What year, kind of?
2: Um, so we started at 9 Theme selection was I think February 2010. Okay, so this um, is a while
0: before the P1 actually came out. Yeah, about two years before it came out. Yeah. So was this like, so, a, like a, we're going to build the best car ever? This is going to be the most amazing yeah. thing. Is was that always the goal? Is to just build this legendary yeah. car that just is better than everything else that's ever been made.
2: Yeah, basically. It was yeah, that was that was it. Um, so how do, team and, of how, like, how do you sit that's down with people? how do you sit down with That's your the, design brief. Yeah, Where here, do you go you from go. there? Yeah, here you go. Just draw the best car that's, <laughs> that's ever been made. That, go ahead. That that pretty much was the brief. Um <laughs> and there was like a team of about I don't know, initially, there's I mean it's literally a handful of people. It's a handful of um the best engineers. I mean, they they were the best anyway, you know. There's so it was a much smaller company back then. <laughs> Um, so there's a handful of, you know, engineers, handful of designers, I think one aerodynamicist. Um, and yeah, we, we just started doing, doing stuff and, you know, it was, um, we started out obviously like any design project, you start off, um, just with, you know, words, images, just trying to work out what on earth, you know, we're going to do. We knew the 12 C, um was gonna have a pretty lukewarm reaction, which it did when it when it came out. Um it was quite generic. It looks good now, but it was quite a derivative sort of supercar. <laughs> so we knew we had to like really we had to completely re reestablish McLaren, well we had to establish McLaren design language because nothing existed. So it was a real amazing opportunity. You know, it was like once in a lifetime I think kind of opportunity. So when you say design um, language, what just, do you mean? What is that extrapolate that it's um iconic dna that you look at something and you think yes right that's that's an apple phone that is um you know that is a mclaren that is a a nike shoe you know it's kind of you can just instantly say if you took the badge off you know what it is that's the ultimate goal of, of of design language um so yeah i mean we had like at the start of the project we had um lewis hamilton's championship winning car in the studio with all the crazy I mean it was the years when they had just bonkers aero I mean yeah. like insane aero um and we we kind of we started to look at him we sort of me and rob um we started to just think okay take the stickers off take the the sponsors off what forms are there and we noticed that they were really organic natural looking forms and both of us you know we like you know, Alpha Alfa T33 Stradale is one of our favourite cars, both of us. Um, and, you know, it was, um, yeah, we just noticed this real sort of affinity between natural world and Formula One cars and therefore performance, you know, efficient forms, you know, sort of quite bulbous leading edges. You look at a shark, it's got a sort of bulbous nose and then it tapers to a sharp point. That That's the basic sort of function of, of, of yeah, function with form. And we, we built it up from there really and you just go mad like sketching just talking to engineers talking to the aero guys thinking okay what can work here using the common sense of you know i've got a little bit of engineering know-how uh, not much but a little bit you know just common sense and trying to design things that were that would obviously look insane and cool but you know work as well so um yeah we kind of we I say went through theme selection and then Rob was, um, I mean, he's brilliant because he oversaw. You know, I was obviously really green behind the ears. I'd done this cool sketch, but it was pretty, um, pretty naive and looking back, pretty, pretty ropey. But you know, the, the development through the process, working with the modelers, working, yeah, so with Rob overseeing everything, it was, um, yeah, it was a cool, it was a really cool process. Amazing project. It was just, yeah. What were some days. of the challenges <laughs> as a as a designer that you ran into? Um, big ones were Aero. Um, you yeah, know, we knew this car, um, needed to have 600 kilos of downforce. Most, most cars certainly at that point had 50 to a hundred maximum. And we're so talking about we're what to kind of produce... cars, like everybody's cars, or are we talking about? No, no. It's like supercars. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, you know, four, five, eight probably has. I mean, I don't know, probably has 50 to a hundred kilos of downforce if that, um, wow. which pretty much means it's which pretty much means it's neutral. You know um most most sports cars you see diffusers and wings they're actually they are producing downforce but they're counteracting the lift that you're getting from the from the shape of the car so you end up with a car that's pretty much downforce neutral even though they're saying oh yeah we've got 50 100 kilos of downforce is actually pretty much neutral so yeah we're producing a car of 600 kilos so it was like mental and then the cooling as well we want to shrink wrap everything well, just want to just so want to go back to the arrow
0: for one second is yeah. that because like the average guy that's going even if he's driving ferraris and, and lamborghinis or whatever is going to get into something with that much downforce and the driving experience is that much different that he might not know how to react is that why these other manufacturers at this time weren't doing any of that because they certainly could have been um, why, why weren't they doing it
2: no i mean i just think it was um it was I just think it hadn't it hadn't progressed that far in, in road car design. Um, you know, you had I guess there's a few things that had that had been before, you know. I guess probably like your F fifties and um G T three Porsches probably did produce a bit, you know, probably hundreds to two hundred maybe. I'm guessing, totally guessing. Um but nothing they haven't been really been a proper full production downforce car. There'd been a few specials, whether it's, you know, I don't know, uh, radicals or aerial atoms or whatever. I don't know if they were out then or not, but anyway, you know, they there was kind of, there were was, was some sort of downforce, proper downforce specialist cars, but nothing full production. And, um, you know, they, we knew what lap times we wanted to do. The funny thing was, looking back now, Maybe the guys at the top knew what was going on at Ferrari and Porsche, but we certainly didn't. I don't, I don't think they did. I think I rec- I'm pretty sure that nobody at Ferrari, Porsche or McLaren knew what the other ones were doing right at the start when they kicked off. Um, I'm sure there were probably some rumors floating around as, as you get, you know, years into the design process, you're talking to similar suppliers and you kind of get to know that there's, there's something, something going on right. across the, like, you know, oh, across the the 90, border. you didn't know it was the 918 at the time, but, no, but you know, some, yeah. something, something special is happening. Um, so for them all to come out within pretty much a year of each other. It was it was crazy you know it was amazing it was an amazing time was it a very tribal time um, where you like
0: was it like we're McLaren we're you know we're, yeah, we're, we're going to we, tattoo a
2: McLaren on our leg <laughs> i mean
0: was it really really yeah. us versus them kind of thing
2: yeah definitely you 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 want to win you know it's like a it's like a sports team um you want to you want to you know and the worst thing is you don't know what they're doing so you kind of got to push it um but that breeds that breeds innovation um and b- we wanted it so much um that's what came out of your p1 p1 came out of it um i think looking back it's there's some from pure design point of view there's some sort of naive bits that i'd love to improve i'd love to i'd love to be a gazillionaire and have a p1 and just redo a few bits um but you know it was it had the uh, had a purity and because of i guess because of that naivety a lot of really cool um race cars you know have that have that naivety that um yeah, they just – they look they look cool because they're so pure and raw. Well, your regulation um, book
0: is, uh, is the government rather than a uh, governing body. So it's a completely different yeah. – I mean, you guys have way more latitude than than guys that have a 500-page rule book of how, oh, yeah. what weight screws they can yeah, use. Yeah, yeah.
2: So. No, def- definitely. <laughs>
0: definitely. So you mentioned that the cooling was a challenge too.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, and that was one of the best. I think mean, it's probably it's, – there's a few bits on that car that I'm like mega proud of. Um, and one of them is the, is the cooling, um, the aero guys. And yeah, again, if you're listening, Arthur, don't worry, mate. I know it was a team effort, but at the start of the project, um, they were like, no, won't work. We need big pods, like big side pods, big gaping holes in the side of the car. That's how we're going to cool the car. The radiators, we had a specific position for the radiator, which is um, behind the door shut. In yeah, front very of the traditional. Wheel. That's so a very
0: that, traditional place for it.
2: That space, yeah. So that was, we knew it was going to be there. Um, and I sort of, I'd seen like the gr- basic group C cars. So the 962 Porsche, 956 Porsche, and those types of cars, even the old Al- um, alpha and Porsches in the, in the 70s, but taking air over the shoulder, and I was like, I'm sure we can we can do something. Again, in my like sort of naive naive brain. Um, I didn't you know, I didn't really realize how there's not actually that much space between the cabin and the outside of the car so i had done all these drawings and we did these we did these initial cad models and we really narrowed the cabin so the the chief engineer wanted you know really small frontal area so we knew we wanted a really tight cabin so it's kind of a weird cabin on the p1 it's quite peaky it's quite narrow but that's like a like a group c car so narrow cabin i was like well let's get air over the side and and down through the shoulder Um, and then expose all the sides to show show the, show the ducting. Um, initially I'd had it like fully open, but all the air was just spilling out the side. So the aero guys were like, well, if you cover that in, it'll, it it might work better. And it got like just insane amounts of cooling, like way better than anyone expected. Um, it was like above way above target. So it was like a really eureka moment. that's why you've got, um, 720 similar sort of theory for the cooling because to get the the cooling that you need from that car without sticking a big center-esque side pod on the side the only way really is to control the air through the body side and through the body so it's this insane you know p1 it's like a tunnel through the door which is where the air flows through i don't know how many people realize that but um it's an amazing feature of the car which um yeah there's a that was kind of cool. Cool part of it.
0: My favorite design element on the on the P1 is that is the rear three quarter of the car where you can see like the little light, you know, the light bar kind of goes around the the design. Element yeah, that's on the rear. That's,
2: and, what saying, that's my favorite.
0: <laughs> I mean, t- tell me about designing that. I mean, that's just it's it's so unique. Yeah. And, and when you think of design language, I, it, I mean, that's an an iconic word right there. Is it of the design yeah. language is that? I know.
2: I kind of felt. Well, I, when i did it and it got picked and um and we developed it and i was like shit i've peaked really early." so i don't think <laughs> i can do any better than that um it was it uh, yeah it was, it was it kind of it came out of function you know we we knew that we had to get loads of hot air out the back of the car. Again, I was looking at old sports racers, um, 917 stuff like that, just all open, you know. But Obviously, you've got to cover bumper beams and what have you. Um, and it, I mean, it sounds a cop out to say it drew itself, but we had a low, low rear deck for low drag. We wanted the haunches, you know, the rear rear fenders, quite high um, to get a load of drama through the through the through the body. Um, and I kind of just really wanted to illuminate the trailing edge of the body. I think, I can't even remember if at the time there was any Le Mans cars that had, um, LEDs on the, on the rear wing elements they might've done, it might come after. I can't remember, but anyway, I, I, we kind of, I knew I wanted to just illuminate the back edge of the body, hidden, hidden lamps were a McLaren thing. Cause the 12 C lamps are hidden in the bar grills. Um, so I thought, well, let's, let's just illuminate the back edge of the body and, it's yeah, sinister this, this as hell, sort of fluid, I mean, this, it looks... This fluid... Yeah, the fluid form just came. And, you know, it kind of... Then, obviously, seeing through the mesh into all the inner workings makes it even cooler. It's like a girl um, with a sheer
0: dress on. Like a black yeah. sheer dress where you can kind of get yeah, this yeah. view of everything. <laughs> Which is which glimpse. is the best way? You know, a, a naked woman is fine, but if you've got the hints of what's going on, it's almost even better. Makes you want more. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And you were, like you said, you were you know, did a lot of work on the 720s two, which I read was, mm. you know, you told me it was one of your favorite designs. Why is that project
2: so valuable to you personally? Um, P one was obviously high up car, you know, halo product. So we could kind of within reason we could throw the kitchen sink at it. Um. 720 was you know a quarter of the price um so the amount i mean for starters just the amount of content and thinking and clever thinking that's in that car whether it's the door duct whether it's you know we had the the doors going up and over into the cabin um which is an amazing feature for a you know mid-level supercar to have It's basically i mean the whole thing is effectively a hypercar you know every feature of it yeah, whether it's the aero, whether it's the, you know, the power it's got, the, let's say, the doors, it's just, it's got so many features of a hypercar. Um, and then just the design language of it. We'd we done a few cars since the P1. P1, like I said, was a little bit naive. Um, I think we developed that through, you know, obviously six six seven five, and then um, 570. Um, and it started to mature a bit. And I think as we did 720, um you know we had again we had a great team working working on the car and um yeah it just i just think it was a better a better product as a as a complete design as a, as a complete design i think it's uh yeah i'm really really proud of it it's the one i'm most proud of that, that i've done i think
1: one thing that sticks out on the 720 are those headlights and i know yeah you had some inspiration for those headlights can you tell us about that
2: yeah, so that was, yeah, again, like, say, so T33 Stradale and um, some of the early 60s cars, they had these big, like, animalistic kind of headlights. Um, and I thought I'd been kind of been lost a bit. Um, you yeah, know, that that sort of animal animal features had, had been, been lost in the last few years. Everything's, like, thin, slitty lights. Um, so there was that. Then there was some macro photography of some wasps which you probably didn't know about but yeah that was um so that their eyes like insect eyes are really really interesting um so we started sketching stuff like that. i was thinking i knew that they had the um the low temperature radiators in the corner so i was thinking okay not going to need a lamp that big but maybe we can take air in you we've got this large feature that houses the lamp um you can take some air and into the radiator. And as it as the idea developed, um, we then also realised that we could stand the lens of the headlamp up. I'm getting really techy and geeky now. Sorry, it's good, um, man. No, not I good. love hearing this. Um, the headlamp uh, lens is is vertical, so you don't get any light. You don't lose any light refracting through the lens. Well, most supercars obviously got a really raked lens, and you don't get great lights on on um, most supercars because the light kind of refracts and bounces around and only some of it comes out whereas with the vertical lens it just goes straight through out lots of lots of light performance so it ended up being a lot of wins and i think that's the great thing as um, at mclaren was you get a lot of dual functionality um and like doing everything for a reason you do end up getting dual dual function or even triple function um with with parts of the car so and that was one of those one of those aspects it gave a great visual impact that nothing had ever looked like that ever before um i think a lot of people didn't get it to start with i think you need to see one in the flesh to really understand it and see the 3d um effect of it um and yeah i mean it's it's, it's very unique so i'm kind of yeah well, was, i love the, the cool, insect cool
1: and wasp analogy that actually
0: now that you've heard, <laughs> one i can totally see it so I, yeah. I feel like this word hypercar is kind of – it's new, right? We didn't have hypercar forever. We and only I, had supercars. We had but supercar. Then- Everybody kind of looks back at like uh, – some people would call the McLaren F1 a hypercar, but I think that's a supercar. And there yeah, was this, so. you had the F40 and you had the 959, which were both supercars. And I think that's a really unique yeah. comparison. And we, we talk about it all the time on the podcast, those two cars, where the F40 is yeah. kind of this visceral thing, and then um, the 959 is this technical thing. It's and the feel, scalpel versus mm-hmm. the hammer. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like a little bit like that happened again with the 918 and the P1. And not saying that the P1 mm. isn't a technological marvel, but I feel as a driving tool, it ended up being a better car because the other one is just got a little bit more going on with it that the p1 Mm. is just a little bit better but you know as hypercars continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and you see more and more and more of them what do you think will be the differentiating marker for all these brands going forward because this contrast (laughs) is kind of going away like the p1 and the 19 and la ferrari were Mm. so different but i feel like this everything's kind of keeling out a little bit where performance is going to become less and less important unless you want people blacking out as you you know as you jump off well, the line, yeah. you know what i mean like <laughs> totally. where do we go from here how do they know, differentiate still, themselves
2: i know it is where exactly where do you go go to go to 11 <laughs> but like um I, I i don't know i really don't know where it's gonna i th- i'd like to think um you know lightweight lightweight and smaller has got to be so i think that's where the the you know the gma t50 is um should be commended um is in it's the the approach to being small and lightweight um i don't i just can't see how just the progress the progress is just constant you know especially now with evs as well you know the amount of power those things have got
0: i almost don't I care was, when someone tells me that the new m5 is going to have a thousand two hundred horsepower i'm like okay and
2: yeah it th- doesn't matter you can't use it you can't use the bloody things you could barely i always used to say people used to think i was just being um Antagonistic, but I'd much rather drive my little 100 horsepower 2002 around the Surrey lanes than, than the McLaren because you can't use the power. They're too wide. You can't drive them. They're only any good for, for track days. I mean, you could argue that, okay, we're going to have so much road legislation soon with automated systems that you're not going to be able to drive quickly on the road. So actually, it all becomes irrelevant anyway. And you're only going to be able to use them on the track. But at the same time I just doesn't i don't know yeah what's the difference between a thousand horsepower and and two thousand horsepower they're both going to like you say almost make you black out (laughs) um so i I don't know i don't know it's um it's difficult i think design is always going to be i mean as a designer i'm always going to say it but yeah design is going to become more and more important um and i think yeah so you got to try and hold hold on to
0: the the dystopian future, we will all get to terrorize the world <laughs> as everybody's driving. I still think we're all going to be driving around. You're going to be in your 2002 Touring. I'm going to be in my 911. We're just going to be, like, just terrorizing everyone. Dri-
2: yeah, everybody's well, going to be in
0: their cars that are being automatically driven. We're going to be zipping in between traffic. It's going to be great.
2: Yeah, definitely. I know. Well, I've got, um, I've got some quite big plans for the O2 um i'm sticking a straight six on triple Weber's on it so yeah i'll be, definitely be loads of unburnt fuel flying around behind me <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you can be with chris next to him at the stoplight revving at that guy in the tesla Ooh. as yeah. we just experienced yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah with unsilenced <laughs> yep. so you've left McLaren now what are you up to what's what's going on
2: yeah so um i'm now trying to do i've just through lockdown i started um doing some watercolors just as a bit of therapy, really. Um, and I have to say, man, man they're, they're beautiful. To,
0: they're really, really, really cheers. good.
2: Cheers. Yeah. No, I just, I started, I really enjoyed doing it and I kind of, I knew that redundancies were on the cards and um, I thought, well, I'll get myself going on this because if McLaren are making people redundant, everyone is and it's true. Everyone's been laid off. So, I kind of tried to start myself up a little, something that I can tick t- t- along on. And, um, yeah, it's going well. I'm, I'm enjoying doing it. Um, I've found that I can paint. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's, you know, it's similar to do. I did well, most my, uh, design drawings at work were digital or, or pens. I used to use, um, chart pack, A D chart pack markers, which are quite a wet pen and they almost are watercolour in a way. So it was kind of progression from there. And do you know what? It's really nice. I'm a massive old car fan. um, I much prefer historic cars to, to modern cars and I'm able to indulge myself and, um, you know, even under, it's really, what's really cool about it. Two things that are really cool about it. One is understanding actually how these things were designed in the first place. You kind of, by drawing them, you really understand what went through the designer's mind in a way. Um, and it's there's a lot of very different rules to what we have now. Um, and the other thing I hadn't realised at all was just how much like joy it gives. I love the you know when I get nice feedback from someone saying that they you know either they got it for present like their dad loves it or um, you know that that joy that I'm able to give people is awesome. It's a really cool feeling. So yeah, I'm 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 loving doing it. It's so a, if someone cool, wants to commission cool
0: something or see the work, where can yeah. they
2: where can they see it? So either through my Instagram, which is paul underscore house underscore art, um, or I've now got a website, uh, paulhouseart.co.uk. It's H O W S E. Yeah. We'll link to it in the show um, notes. Yeah. Everybody
0: can just click. Yeah. Sure you click over um, there I where.
2: haven't got, so just, just message me. Like I'm, um, yeah, I'm very easy going. So just, um, just don't be scared. Just email me, message me. I'm going to have a shop on there soon, probably next week um so week of the what was it 15th something like that um I'll have a, a shop going, but at the moment it's, um, it's just contact me, just email me.
0: I'm going to have you do, uh, do a commission of my 911. It's going to hang right under, uh, Akim yeah, Anshai who drew my, drew my 911 as well. So it'll be, you'll cool. be, you'll be in good company. It's going to be the
2: design. Yeah. Role, it'll be wicked. Yeah. I, no, I t- love your 911, man. It's, it's ace. it's such a cool thing. Thank you, man. You it's, should it's, put it's... the red boot back on it.
0: I know, <laughs> I know, you know what I want to do is I want to get a, <laughs> I want to get a ducktail and I'm going to do the ducktail in red. And then, whenever I want yeah. to run a ducktail, I'll throw that red ducktail on there and, and have a go with it. <laughs> you know, it's when yeah, I bought man. the car, it was never intended to be this ratty thing. It just kind of how this is this, this whole story of how when I don't know that I'd like the red duck lid deck lid as much unless it was yeah. gone. Now that it's gone, I really love it, you know, <laughs> which is kind of It's always car. the way, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Paul, yeah, I exactly. really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. It's, you've been very gracious no, with your it's time really and, cool. And thank
2: you. Really cool to speak to you guys.
0: And I'll have to take you up on that beer and uh, and hear the secret stories. I look forward to that.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. All right, take
0: care of yourself. All right, take it easy days. Yep. D- Bye-bye. D- bye D- bye. There, D- mate. That was that was incredible. I love I love hearing designers talk about their process and yeah, you know and and I. And how they interact with the world and how they think of other design and stuff like that. I Um, love the comment his mom being like, why do you like all these boxy cars? (laughs) (laughs) Is that how
1: the accent went? Yes, that is exactly exactly how how the accent went. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Oberk Car Care. Oberk is a Midwest manufacturer of polishing compounds and detailing supplies made right here in the Midwest by detailers themselves. Oberk products are designed to decimate swirls, holograms, and any of that gross oxidation on your vehicle's paint. And right now, Oberk is actually offering 20% off any order online with the code Overcrest. The discount code is not only good on OberkCarCare.com, but also on CarsuppliesWarehouse.com and DetailedImage.com. Three different places to get your Oberk car care products for 20% off. Go check those guys out.
0: All right, guys. We really appreciate you tuning into the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Paul. I know I did. Um, I can't wait to just have another excuse. I really want to go to England. I want to go drive in England. I want to take the I want to drive all the way up into Scotland. And I want to go around. have a beer with Paul. I then have a beer with Paul. A, you know, there's a lot of guys that we gotta go have a beer with that's why We need to we need to make a have a beer with list and I uh, like that. and just get absolutely destroyed off of it. That would be if we could just have a beer in their honor and just get just wasted. Well yeah, you're a sheep date, so that'll work bad. very well. Yeah, it, it, it is truly that. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We will see you guys on Friday. Take care.